good. Hey, little survey right off. Oh, my goodness. You did not just do that. Kelly is sitting over here with a Patriots jersey on. I'm trying to preach up here. <laughs> Lord, there's forgiveness in the house of God. Thank you, Jesus. Little survey, actually, now that I see that. How many, how many are going for the Eagles today? Let me see your hands. How many are going for the Patriots today? Let me see your hands. How many just don't care? You don't even know what I'm talking about. Welcome to Western Canada, the only part of the globe that could just care less about your stinking sporting event. <laughs> I'm a lifelong Eagles fan, and um, we've never won. So we are going to take a moment of intercession at some point in the service today. Come on, Christian quarterback, um, basically versus, I'm not going to say anymore. Um, we are, as, as Rebecca mentioned, starting a brand new message series today. Before we jump into that, I just want to take a moment and specifically thank a, a couple of people who have uh, just been going all in and doing some, some amazing things as part of our dream team. I first of all want to thank our creative team that made that, that great uh, intro video. They did the graphics around this series. Like, yeah, you can show some love. And I mean, really all I said was we're going to do a series on the book of Daniel. They, they just ran with it. The title, the taglines, the video. They went into the city. They shot video. How great is that guy playing guitar, like kind of headbanging to the beat? To the beat, y'all. To the beat. I just think I'm proud of our teams, man. They just go all in. Uh, this guy's so good. I also want to acknowledge our, our kids team. How many parents you got the email this week just letting you know that what our kids are learning so you can be partnering with what they're doing in kids? Any parents get that this week? How many of you have seen a postcard to your kid? Like, I love our teams after the service are writing postcards about specific things they saw in your kid. Come on, our team is just, I, I just want to just celebrate a sense of ownership and initiative and trying new things. Come on, can we just put our hands together for our dream team in this place today? Just thank you guys. Man, we had sideways rain this morning. We were coming in, bringing in cases and... It was just the weirdest thing. It was a soft sideways rain. I've never really seen a soft sideways rain, but it was, it was messy. Just thank you guys so much for all that you do. We're starting this brand new series called Culture Shock. And really, as Beck said, the, the tag to the series is who are you when culture changes? Culture is changing around us all the time. And really, the, the series is to ask the question, does culture change you or are you going to change culture? Culture's changing. I know for, you know, fashion is one area where culture's just constantly changing. Um, you know, I just got some new glasses. Um, and now I love that I've lived long enough that uh, some whistles from the front row. God bless you. Um, wasn't even my wife, but that's okay. Um, I love that I've lived long enough that things are coming back around like a second time, right? These are the glasses my dad had when I was seven years old. And I was like, dad, those are not good glasses. Do not wear those. They're, they're not good. You look back at the photos and you're like, that is just a bad idea. And then the next thing you know, you're like, man, that is a really good idea. My dad knew what was going on. When I was in high school, my, um, you know, biology class, you had, you sat at that little desk. You had a partner for the year. The desk had all those little like, um, I don't know, little 
things coming out of them, the gas things. You just wanted to turn them on all the time, right? Like I did. You just like, you just, that was science class. And so I was sitting in my science class. I was partnered with Drew Johnson. Drew Johnson was the Zach Morris of my high school. How many 80s kids know what I'm talking about? Zach Morris was my partner. He's the coolest guy in our high school. And he just got, he had gotten some eight hole Doc Martens. Again, Doc Martens just swinging back around. And so he had just gotten some eight hole Doc Martens. This was the first time in my life when Docs were in. Man, I'm getting old. Just think, anyways. But so this is the first time eight hole Doc Martens were in. He got some brown leather Doc Martens. And I just, I went home right away and I was like, Mom and Dad, I need some eight hole Docs. And they looked at me like I was from outer space. They had no idea what I was talking about. Just the same way you look at your teenagers basically on a daily basis. And they're like, what are eight hole docs and why do they matter to you? And I'm like, just stop asking questions. We're talking about high school. Just give me some money. I got to fit in. This is high school. Help us sign out. Culture's constantly changing and it's constantly shifting. And the question is, who are we in the midst of the culture that we live in? Because if we don't understand why we are who we are, what we do and how we respond to God in our lives, we will just flow along with what culture says is normal for our lives, and we'll just end up wherever culture wants to take us. Now, please understand something. We are not the anti-culture church. We are not the church that comes in here and says, you just need to go out and you need to tell people that they're wrong. You're right, the world is wrong. That is not the culture and heart of our church. In fact, that's why we are doing a series called Culture Shock, because if that is how you respond to the world around you, we want to help you out a little bit so that God can actually reach some people through our lives, right? So we're not the anti-culture church, nor are we the church that says, because sometimes the other response is, you know what? We just need to water down God's word a little bit because you know what? We actually love people more than God did when he wrote his word. Hello. Just let that sink in. I just, I don't know if you're going to be saying amen this morning or not, but... Um, I'm going to preach. Whether you do or not, we're going to have a good time. Culture's changing. Who are you when culture changes? And the book of Daniel was written 2,500 years ago, more than 2,500 years ago. It's as relevant as it's ever been because here we're talking about a guy that had to walk into the midst of a culture that was completely opposed to God. And how do we interact with that culture? Do we choose to hide from it? You know, one of the things that that challenges me about church, and church for too long has been Christian people doing Christian things behind Christian walls, but God has not called you to have a private faith. God has called you to have a personal faith that you live in a public space so that people's lives could get changed. So we're talking about culture shock, but we're not just saying like, hey, let's just retreat behind the walls of the church and just do some Christianese things in this place. No, we're actually talking about how do we engage with culture. And thank God this 2,500-year-old letter has some amazing things to say about how we do it. You ready to jump into God's Word today? If you got a Bible, go ahead with me to Daniel chapter 1. Daniel 1, it says this, In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, there's so many names in this, they're going to be difficult. I just was Googling names constantly and hitting the little play button to find out how to pronounce them. And honestly, I just, I don't care anymore. If, you, if I get them wrong and that matters to you, God bless you. Glad that you're here. I tried. I tried. Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. So here's what happened. 605 BC, Babylon comes and they conquer Judah and they take them away into exile. The Bible's super clear this exile did not need to happen. God had been saying to his people, come back to me. Come back to me. Come back to me. Prophet after prophet had come and said to the people of God, come back to me. Come back to me. Come back to me. We're confronted with a bit of an uncomfortable truth here right at the beginning of Daniel. And it's that God had a breaking point. God had a breaking point where he, he actually said to 
the nation of Israel, hey, from this point on, if you want life without me, I'm going to give it to you. And it's true of a nation, and it's also true as an individual, that if we will continuously reject God in our lives, we are going to end up in a place of brokenness. We're going to end up in a place of chaos. We're going to end up in a place of slavery. And when you get there, relationships fall apart, and life is lived without meaning, and you, just don't, you don't really feel like you got purpose, and you're kind of just being dragged along by the day-to-day grind, and you wake up, and you work, and you go to bed, and you put gas in your car, but really there's no purpose. And, and the chaos ends up in your life, and And what happens is when people get to this place, what they say is, where is God in the midst of all this brokenness? And God is where he has always been. He's standing saying, I am waiting for you to just put me first in your life. The Bible from cover to cover is God reaching to people and saying, let me forgive you. Let me restore you. Let me breathe purpose back into your life. Let me forgive you. But make no mistake about it. We, we do get to a place where we have said enough is enough. And God says, hey, if you want some life without me, this is what it's going to look like. And, and so, Jeru- uh, so Israel found themselves in captivity, in exile for 70 years. Now, the good news is God brought them out. God God, is, God, will, God will bring you back out. And anytime we see God's judgment like this in the Bible, be very clear, God's judgments are always designed to bring you back to his goodness. Verse number three, it says, then the king commanded Ashpenaz, his chief eunuch. <laughs> you don't want to be the non-chief eunuch. That's a bad job. But the chief one, maybe, I don't, I don't know. It's, no, you never want that. To bring some of the people of Israel, both of the royal family and of the nobility, youths without blemish of good appearance. This is like Pastor Troy and me. This is basically what they're describing right here in the the scripture. It's actually not. These guys were younger. These were teenagers. This is like um, just all of our resonate youth. Come on, where you at, resonate youth? Don't be shy. Don't be shy. Don't be shy. I'm going to keep saying it until I hear something. Oh, my goodness. The youth are out in front, really leading the way this morning. Glory to God. Thank you for that. You know who it's like? This is like I don't know if he's even in the room this morning, but this is like, you know who this is describing? This is describing Alex from our, our kids' ministry. Come on, where's Alex at? Is he in the room today or is he out there? Where's Alex at? He's out there. That dude's just got some hair, man. I'm telling you, this is like so on point. I saw, I saw the guy this morning. I'm like, what do I do with the jealousy? Lord, I give it to you right now. I give it to you. Without blemish of good appearance, skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding, learning, and competent to stand in the king's palace and to teach them the literature and language of the Chaldeans. So here's what they would do. Babylon would attack. They would take over a nation. Many people would be killed. In fact, Daniel's own family and friends, he may have observed some people being killed right in front of him. So people would be killed. The poor would be left behind to kind of tend to the land. Many would be taken as slaves to Babylon. But the best and the brightest, the young people that they believed that they could indoctrinate into their culture, they would bring into the king's court and they would want to reshape their culture and give them a new identity. And uh, verse number six tells us about that shift in identity. And you're going to recognize some of these names if you grew up in church and you did the little felt boards and so on. Again, 80s kids. You're going to recognize these names. Some of y'all are like felt boards. When, when are the felt boards? Don't worry, we don't do them anymore. But my life was changed by a felt board. I saw it all, this story. And you know, we should do a felt board in like the Lion's Den week, right? You want to do a felt board? Anyone want to own that for us? No, just I'm just playing. <laughs> Some. 
Among these were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah of the tribe of Judah, and the chief of the eunuchs gave them names. Daniel he called Belteshazzar, Hananiah he called Shadrach, Mishael he called Meshach, and Azariah he called Abednego. Now, uh, the Babylonians wanted to change their name, and we'll get into the seriousness of that in a few moments, but just just, some, just something lighthearted, because this is, you know, this is a heavier message. Although I just believe, honestly, when I was in worship this morning, side note, I believed that even in the midst of what is a little bit of a heavier preach, that God just wanted to breathe encouragement into the room today. And I just felt it in worship. I was like, it just, I, I don't know um, what you came in with today, but the, I believe God by the Holy Spirit today wants to just breathe some encouragement into your life. And I love that. God can do that through any message. God's going to do that today. So, uh, but a moment just of levity in the midst of this uh, heavier message. Speaking of name changes, my three-year-old loves to rename people and things. Avia loves to rename people and things. Now, Rachel and I, we have two kids. Avia is three. Alencia is one. And at this stage in life, it won't last forever, um, but at this stage in life, Alencia is, is young, and she's, and she's just like, she just want to eat her, right? You don't eat her, but you just want to eat her. And so we've just called her Boo. Boo is her name at this stage in life. And so Avia watched us give her this nickname, Boo, and she decided, well, I want to give her some nicknames. And she, she's come up with about 37 different names that she will call her sister really at any given time. And some of them aren't the most loving, but they're funny, and so I sort of encourage it, which is really not good. But she calls her sister Boogint, Boogina, Ginters. Like she, and these are names that she will... And, and, the, and the, the disappointing thing, the sad thing, really the parent fail in all this, is that Alencia now thinks these are her real names. <laughs> I kid you not, yesterday I, I was doing this little name thing with Alencia, and I was like, where's daddy? And she'd point to me, and I'd say, where's your sister? And she'd point to her sister, and I'd say, where's Boo Gint? And she'd go, <laughs> So Avia, and, and like, well, you'd be out in public, you'd be in a restaurant, you'd be in some public space, and Avia would just be calling after her sister, like, Boo Gint, come back. And people will look at you like you are the worst. Like, how did you give your child the name Boo Gint? And I honestly kind of love to just kind of own it, you know? It's like, that's a good name. Don't give me no judgment. Don't want to name like, I don't know. See, this is where I get in trouble. I was just like about to say you don't want to name like, and I was about to say somebody in this room's name. <laughs> Funny story, actually, some friends of ours, they had a baby, and they named him Matthias. And uh, at that point in time, it was kind of when new names were just kind of coming out, and so like new kind of unusual names. And their pastors came to visit them in the hospital. It's a true story. And the pastor said, Matthias, that's such an interesting name. And, and the mom, again, baby brain, right? The mom who just given birth said, you know, you just don't want to give them an average name like John. Of course, their pastor's name standing right next to her bed was John. Here's the serious side of the name change. The world wants to change your identity. Because the Babylonians understood if they want to be able to shift your behavior, I'm going to start by shifting your identity. And it's the same attack of the enemy today. The enemy wants to give you a new name and a new identity. We're going to study these names because in a 2,500-year-old book, we're going to see that the name change that the Babylonians gave to these four Hebrew boys are the same name changes that the enemy wants to speak over your life today. Let's look first at Daniel. Daniel's name meant this. His name meant God is my judge. And they changed his name to Belteshazzar, Lady, protect the king. And if you notice the shift in the name, it's a shift from God to man. From, from God is in charge to God is in control to man is in control of your life. The other interesting thing about the name change for Daniel is that they gave him a girl's name. 
And you might think that the gender identity thing that's going on in our culture is brand new, but it's actually not. It's been going on since the days of Daniel, and we see this in any culture as it moves from away from God. There's also going to be confusion about gender identity. You see, the devil doesn't just want you sexually impure. He wants to mess you up that you don't even know who you are anymore, because he understands that if he can mess up your identity in yourself, you will no longer understand what to think about God. From a focus on God to a focus on man. The second one is Hananiah. Hananiah meant this. Yahweh has been gracious. Really, God has been gracious. Really, the idea there, God is good. Shadrach to I am fearful of God. Notice the shift. Same shift today. From God is good to God is bad. From God has a plan for your life, God loves you, God wants to bring you into your best life and your purpose and his hand upon your life. He wants to breathe, he wants you to wake up every day with meaning and purpose and significance and the power and presence of God. He wants to be your father. From God is good to church stinks and God wants to take a whole bunch of stuff from you. It's the same lie today. Here's the next one. Mishael, his name meant who is what God is. They changed his name to Meshach, which was I'm despised, contemptible, and humiliated. Look at this one. It's from confidence to I have no confidence. Man, it's the same lie the enemy wants to get you to believe about your identity today. Then there are pictures and videos and billboards screaming at you all day long that you're just not quite there. And it's, it's a lie of the enemy to take you from confidence in who your God is. That is the primary source of your confidence to confidence in myself. I see myself as brokenness. It's from confidence to cowardice. Here's the last one. Azariah's name meant Yahweh has helped. God has helped. They changed his name to Abednego, servant of Nebo. Really, the, the change here is from a son or daughter of God to, to being a slave. The the devil has the same intention for your life today. He wants to change your name. He wants to give you a new identity. And you're like, man, no one can change my name. It's true. You've got legal protections for your name. And so the method that the enemy will use today is not the way that they went about changing the identity of these guys. You know what the enemy will do today? He just wants to get you to accept a label. Label. There's tons of ways that the world wants to label you. But let's just talk about a couple of them. In our culture today, there's this push to have a political label on your life, that you're on this side or you're on this side. I mean, honestly, there is stuff on both sides that make no sense and are not good. And the calling of the church is not to take a polar identity, but to elevate our eyes above the sides and to say, what is the heart of God? Understand, no platform is ever gonna represent God fully. No, you don't identify yourself with a platform or with a side, but with the heart of God. Your culture wants to get you to pick a side because if the enemy knows if he can get you to pick a political identity, it's like a, a, a small rudder on a big ship. And so all of a sudden you start to just lean every way that that side says. You understand what I'm saying? It's, a, it's one decision, but it becomes your identity. The same is true. Another label that we see all over culture is the enemy wants to label you in the area of your sexuality. In the area of your sexuality, well, you know, whether you'd say... I'm heterosexual or gay or lesbian. Uh, what we would, in our, in our church context, we would describe like as a sin struggle. Uh, the enemy wants you to believe that you are that one decision and it impacts everything in your life. Because if he can get you to identify 
with this large group of people that says, this, this one decision, this one sin struggle, this one issue defines everything that I am. He understands, we believe that in the area of sexuality, to cast off all restraint and to just do what, whatever I want to do, whenever I want to do it, we think it gives us freedom. But you ever notice what it does in culture? It causes people to identify their whole lives around a narrow mindset of who I am. Because the enemy understands that if he can get you to shift your thinking about your sexuality, he will change your whole worldview. You will say, if this is who I am, then this is my entire worldview. It actually doesn't lead to a broadening of freedom in our lives. It leads to a narrow definition of who I am and what I believe. The enemy wants to label you, but how many know God is the only one that can give you a label? If you make a shirt, you can slap a label on that thing. But the only one authorized to put a label on your life is the maker of your life. And you are not what someone says about you. You are not what culture says about you. You are not the label that someone puts on you. The only label that actually can stick to you and can be put on you is put on you by your maker. And his labels don't have limits. His labels speak to your potential. They speak to your purpose. They speak to your calling. That you're called into a culture moving farther and farther from God, but you've got purpose and you don't have to hide from it and you don't have to be afraid and you can breathe life into the culture. I can't wait for this series. Because to be honest with you, I think you were going to be so surprised from what the Bible teaches about how you interact with a culture that's far from God. I think you're going to be remarkably surprised about how Daniel goes about doing this. And, and those weeks, I'm, I'm excited to preach next week. In fact, we're going to kind of just springboard even off some of the verses that we're about to read. But I really want us to focus in now. This is how culture wants to change us. That really is point number one this morning. We're just going to dip our toe in the water of point number two, which is the theme of this series, which is how do we change culture? This is what the Bible says now in verse number eight. And my two favorite words in this entire letter it says this, but Daniel. But Daniel. Here's why I like those two words. We're reading the book of Daniel about a guy named Daniel. We're not reading the book of Belteshazzar about a guy named Belteshazzar. Daniel refused to accept the identity that was being pressed upon him. His life did not become known by the, uh, the impression of the culture around him. No, he, he chose to stay with the identity that God had given to him. Understand, these young men, they were teenagers, and they had witnessed horrific things. They'd watched, likely, the death of family and friends. And then they got marched across two deserts. And they're now a thousand miles from home. And they're in a brand new uh, place, a brand new culture, a brand new society. And these things are being pressed upon them. And, and Daniel, what we see here is Daniel really draws a line in the sand. Let's read on. It says, but Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Therefore, he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. Daniel, Daniel says, um, and this is hard to believe in this verse. Really, this is one of the hardest things to wrap your minds around, especially if this is the first time you've heard this story. All that I've just said about Daniel, literally the worst day, the worst year you could ever imagine has happened to Daniel. And someone walks up to Daniel and they're like, hey man, here's some steak and some wine. And Daniel's like, ah, no thanks, I'm going to pass. And I'm like, like he's kind of like, what? Right? Like, you've had the worst 
the worst stuff's going on, man. Eat some steak, right? Like Rach and I this week, we, we celebrated um, the launch of a business for her that was, that's been really a decade of dreaming for us. And that's another story for another time, but nevertheless, hashtag proud husband. It's a big week for us. Um, and what did we do after she, you know, she had this big uh, launch and, and you know, she finished her first day. What did we do? We ate some steak, right? We went to the keg. We, we ate ourselves some steak. And so well, what's, the, what's the problem here? Why is Daniel saying no to the steak? Daniel, you just had the worst day, the worst week, the worst month, the worst year of your life. Why are you saying no to the, the steak? What we got to understand the context here is that in Babylonian culture, they were a polytheistic nation. They believed in a lot of different gods. And what they would do is they would take the choicest of their foods and they would set it before these idol gods. And of course, the idol gods didn't eat the food. And so then they had this really nice food that no one had eaten. And so they would give it to people. And the people that would then eat that food publicly were making a public declaration that I identify and worship and serve the gods of Babylon. And Daniel is basically drawing a line in the sand here. And he's saying, you might have marched me across the desert. You might have killed my family. You might have taken away everything that matters to me. But I am drawing a line in the sand. And I'm saying, I am not going to worship another god but my god. Uh, this series is going to be great for a lot of different reasons, but I believe, it, first of all, it's going to be good for you if you are going through an overwhelming season in your life and you just can't see a purpose for the pain. Maybe you're going through, you, you just like, maybe it's a great thing, like you just had a baby, but you are so sleep deprived. And that's just, I know I've been there a couple times. It's overwhelming. Or, or maybe for you, you, you've experienced the loss of a job and trying to find a new job, and it's overwhelming. Or maybe for you, you've got the emotional chaos of a bad breakup or a divorce. Or maybe for you, you've entered a season where, you know, your parents used to care for you, and now you're having to care for a sick parent, and it's just, it's overwhelming. How do you get through it? And I believe the book of Daniel speaks to several different things. First of all, it speaks to your overwhelming circumstances because Daniel is going through a tough time. And we are not the church that just says like, you know, grin and bear it. Just grin and get through it. I was so proud of Rachel. She preached this week at Relate Church. And she got up in front of 120 women or I don't know how many women were there. There's a bunch of women there. And she just basically opened up our lives and said, you know what? We've walked through some difficult years. So the heart of our church is not to just say, grin and bear it, you're gonna get through it. Listen, Daniel went through some tough stuff. In fact, his stuff was tougher than yours, so just let it go, let it go, let it go. No, having overwhelming circumstances, you, you actually do need to be talking about the overwhelming circumstances in your life. That's why we say, get in a group. Because messages preached from a platform, especially ones like today, where at times I'm talking about polarizing topics, to be honest with you, they don't really change many lives. Because when someone's got a microphone and they're shouting, everyone, you just want to push back if you don't agree with what I'm saying already. You ever watch like, you know, the news networks and it's like two people are shouting at one another? Have you ever seen someone just like, you're right, you made a good point. I'm going to agree with you. No. No, when people are shouting at one another without a love relationship, if I don't, you know, if, if you don't know that I love you, and I talk about a polarizing subject from this platform. I might make a great argument, but you're not likely to say, you know what, I'm gonna step into freedom in my life. You know what we do around this church? We build groups and we say that freedom happens in the context of a group because life change happens when you can look someone in the eyes and know that they love you and share about the challenge that you're going through in your life. And they love you enough to challenge you in different areas. And it's out of that space that you're gonna experience a life change. 
So this series is great if you're going through a difficult time, but it's also great if you don't really know how to respond to the tidal change and the tidal wave of culture. Sometimes it's like, you know, I, I occasionally like to surf. I don't pretend to be good, but I can ride the foam as good as anyone. And, but sometimes I'll rent a, a shortboard because I just want to get better, and I'll, I'll go and I'll try and duck dive under a wave. And I can't really duck dive yet. You might not know what that is, but that's how surfers go underneath the waves so they don't just keep getting hit by it. You know what? This series is really to teach us how to duck down under the waves of culture and not to just get swept back and back and back and back. So what's the first idea this morning? What's the, what's the first main point about how we do this, of how we respond to culture? I wrestled with making this week number one and point number one because I, I really, I, was, I, kept, I kept saying to God, God, I want this to be a more encouraging, uplifting message for how we react and respond to culture. And even till this morning, I really felt the Lord just challenging me to make it about this one point. And it's this. If we're not going to be changed by culture, but we're going to change the world around us, step number one is we got to say no to some things in our lives. Like Daniel said no, in this case, to the steak and the wine. And I'm not saying you can't have steak and wine. Please go to the keg. It's good for you. Especially after 21 days of prayer and fasting. Just go. I ate a half pint of ice cream last night because I'm still dealing with the, the binge effect of coming off 21 days of fasting. Lord, forgive me. And my eating disorder wife, help me. Um, she's a therapist. Not, she doesn't have an eating disorder. That was weird, right? You leave one word out and the whole church is like, what's going on in their home? <laughs> That's a word for somebody today. You've got to say no to something. And please understand me, the God of the Bible is a yes God. Whenever God asks you to say no to something, to let go of something, it's so that he can put something better in your life, something better in your hands. Look at verse number 17. It says this, as for these four youths, God gave them. And read that out again, and I want you to read those highlighted words with me. As for these four youths, God gave when God asks you to let go of something in your life, it's because he actually wants to give you something that's better. If we're going to impact culture, understand me, church, we actually have to be different. If we're going to be different, we got to be different. And God is going to ask you to say no to some things in your life. And I don't need to be the Holy Spirit here and tell you what that is, but I would ask that you would just have a, a heart postured open to say before God, God, what is it that you want me to let go of? Maybe if one day you want to have a great relationship right now in your, in your marriage, that right now today in your dating relationship, you need to know that you got you to let go of an unhealthy relationship. Maybe if you'd say, you know what, I really want to walk in confidence and freedom this year. You're going to have to let go of some unfettered internet access on your devices, on your phone, on your computer. Maybe if you'd say, you know what, I really want God's best for my family. Maybe you're going to have to let go of that thing that's constantly standing in the way of you getting to church with your family. Maybe if in 2018 you'd say, I really want God's purpose on my life. I want all the call of God that he has for my life. Then you might have to let go of some of the overtime hours that you're working so that you can actually get into a relationship where someone could call you into God's best for your life. I'm not saying it's easy. I'm not saying those decisions are easy in a, in a culture, in a city that has the 
living expenses that we have, that has the challenges we have. I know what keeps us driving. I know what keeps us on that wheel. But if you want God's best, understand the starting point is you've often got to let go of something that is sometimes even good to take hold of God's best for your life. Look what happens in verse number 20. It said, in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king inquired of them, he found uh, Daniel and Hananiah and Mishael and Azariah. He found them 10 times better. 10 times better. They let go of second best so that they could take hold of God's best. And what did God do? He multiplied what was on their life. We serve a God of multiplication. Maybe you'd say, you know, I I don't know how to get God's financial blessing in my life. Maybe you need to let go of the grip it and spend it mindset that you've got in your life. You got to let go of second best to take hold of God's best. God is a God of multiplication. And I want to speak it over our church. I want to speak it over 2018. I want to speak it over your life. Ten times multiplication a hundred, a thousand, God bringing multiplication to your life. Come on, somebody, would you agree in your spirit? Multiplication in healing, multiplication in restoration, multiplication in salvation, multiplication in God's presence in our lives. But we got to let go of something if we're going to lay hold of what God has for us church, this is going to be a great series because we are a church called to get outside these walls and live for God. And I want to pray for you right now that at the very beginning of this series, there would be an openness and a responsiveness to God's voice. Come on, we've heard from God's word. I pray you've heard his voice, not mine. And now it's actually the most important part of the service, the service, because my words can teach some things, but you need God to speak to your heart, and then this moment you need to respond. You need to respond. So just in your own heart, in your own words, as we go to a time of prayer, say, just, you know what God's speaking to your heart today, the shift that he's called you to, the thing he's calling you to let go of, to be more open-handed with. Let's pray together. Lord, we respond to your word and to your calling, and I pray, God, as you even spoke to me in worship today, God, that encouragement would be all over this room today, even in the midst of a challenging message. God, I pray that encouragement would wash over the room today, God, that we would see who you are and we would hold fast to our identity in you. And now, Holy Spirit, as you call us to let go of some things, I know there's some people in the room right now. You've been very specific, God, and so we respond to you. We respond to you. Maybe God hasn't spoken. And then just in this moment, you just need to open your heart and say, God, speak to my heart. If I'm going to impact the world around me, what are you calling me to let go of so I can take hold of your best? God, I pray that you'd speak today by the power of your Holy Spirit to every heart. Continue this work, God, even as we go from this place today. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. I'm going to ask you to keep your heads bowed and your eyes closed for a moment. There's some people in the room today, and you know today is your day to make a decision around your relationship with God. You've been far from God, maybe buying into a different identity than the one God has for you, which is to have you as a son or a daughter of God, for God being really in the first place of your life. 
And so if today you would say, yeah, I need to make that decision either to become a Christian or to come back to God because you've been away from God, living your own way. And I don't mean just like a little bit of sin in your life. I mean, God's just not been in the top chair. And today you need to make a faith commitment to put God back as the Lord of your life, Jesus Christ. If that's you in the room today, today you'd say, yes, pastor. Now I want, I want to make that decision to put God first in my life. I want to become a Christian. I want to come back to God. I'm going to ask you in a moment to just raise your hand. And, and by raising your hand, you're, you're not going to be saved through the raising of your hand. It's the decision of your heart. But I'm asking you to raise your hand so that today you'd know this was the day I made that choice to go all in with God. And we're not going to send you out. We're not going to call you forward. We're not going to embarrass you in any way. I simply want to pray a prayer of you. And it's just no one looking around today. It's between you and God. So today you'd say, yeah, today that's my decision. Pray with me before we leave this place. I'm giving my life to Jesus. Would you just shoot your hand up and hold it high for a moment? No one looking around, but you say, yeah, today's my day. Today's my day. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. So good. Whether you just raised your hand or not, we're going to pray together. And if today you're making that decision, just pray this prayer in your heart with me. Just say, dear Jesus, my life is yours. I'm letting go of the world stuff to take hold of you, Jesus, as my Lord and Savior. And I choose to follow you because I believe you died, rose again, so I could be forgiven, free, have eternal life. Help me follow you. In Jesus' name, everybody said Amen. Come on, church, we put our hands together for those who just prayed that prayer in this place.